The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to Sex Lives, the New York Magazine sex podcast. I'm New York Magazine sex columnist Maureen O'Connor. David Wallace-Wells is away this week, so I'll be flying solo for a conversation with Jenna Sowers, who recently wrote a piece called Inside a Hampton Sex Party for the Elite for Harper's Bazaar. Jenna, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. It's great to be here. How exactly did you come to be at this sex party in the Hamptons? Uh, The company that throws the party um, actually contacted my editor at Harper's Bazaar and asked if they wanted to send somebody. And uh, my editor immediately forwarded the email on to me. And I, without even really thinking about it, just acting off of sheer human curiosity, Uh uh, I said yes, absolutely. (laughs) Um, tell me about why, who organizes this party and why. The company that throws these events is called Killing Kittens, and it was founded in London about 11 years ago by a woman named Emma Sale. Uh, they have since expanded their sort of sex party business to a bunch of other cities worldwide. They came to New York City last year and have done a couple events in the city since then. This was their first event in the Hamptons, but meanwhile, they also are active in uh, London, Paris, Hong Kong, and they did an event recently in Toronto. So I think this is part of a North American expansion Uh for their business. I mean, their tagline, what, it's the world's sexual elite, correct? Yes. Killing Kittens markets itself with a lot of language based on exclusivity uh, and female pleasure. They um, really push uh, this idea that that everything that happens at their sex parties is initiated by women, that only women can actually, according to the rules that everybody signs on to in order to attend, only women can initiate any kind of sexual contact. Uh, Men are not supposed to just be like hanging around, like trying to get in on Mm -hmm. any sort of action that's unfolding. Uh, although the party that I attended, uh, not not everything that was happening, at least as far as I saw, was happening because a woman specifically asked a man, hey, come here. Not in a way that was, yeah. or appeared to be in any way non-consensual, but just uh, this, this everything is initiated by the women, only the women could initiate rule was not followed 100% of the time at this particular party. So can you sort of set the scene for us? Like where, what kind of place, venue did this take place in? What was it like when you walked in? Uh, The party took place at a very fancy, well, okay, I'm I'm a broke freelance writer. I (laughs) thought it was a very fancy uh, Hamptons estate. There was Mm -hmm. a pool, about 14 acres of grounds. There was a very nicely sort of topiary garden. Uh, there was a tennis court. There was a gazebo. It looked like something, like Nancy Myers would have shot a rom-com there. <laughs> Nancy was, Myers, that was not the direction I was expecting. I was, I was envisioning eyes wide shut until the exact moment you said Nancy Myers. <laughs> well, by day, it was definitely <laughs> by night, more Kubrick. But, uh-huh. um, yeah, it was, uh, I was, uh, I thought it was a beautiful house. i Definitely later heard a, an older dude guest um, who sort of looked like he worked in finance um, say, my house is nicer than this. <laughs> That's when you're like, where's your sex party, sir? Let's go there next. Yeah, I, uh, well, maybe I was too easily impressed. But, um, <laughs> it, was, it was a very elegant venue that they mm-hmm. had, I guess, for the weekend. Um, it is currently on the market. I walked out of there and my friend who I'd brought as my plus one turned to me and said, I'm never selling my house. (laughs) 
so how, I mean, how many people were there? What was the crowd like? I would say there were about 50, maybe 60 people there. Um, not all at once, but filtering through the party, you know, over mm-hmm. the course of the afternoon and evening. Uh, the party began in, in like the mid afternoon, about three, three thirty, and was supposed to run till 11 o'clock. Uh, which so is was a, it like a wear your swimsuit, be in the sun type of party, or? Yeah, it was billed as like as a as an afternoon pool party, sex party. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the goal uh, with every pool party, isn't it, for it to switch to being a sex party? I don't know which pool parties you're going to, but <laughs> I to a pool party that became a sex party before. <laughs> but yeah, I got there pretty soon with my my fr- my very game friend who came as my plus one. Um, but there were also a lot of people maybe who had experienced sex parties before and, and knew not to expect that anything would happen in the first couple hours. So mm. a lot of people didn't get there till like six or seven o'clock, which was probably the smarter move because nothing did happen for the first like four or five hours. There was just a lot of awkward conversation and <laughs> every interaction had this sort of subtext of, who are you and would you want to maybe have sex with me later or now? Um, <laughs> which, I mean, you know, is maybe there's a subtext to many conversations that you have in a social setting. Uh, Did you have those type of conversations with people or was it just eavesdropping? I talked to a lot of the guests. Like, I would say the majority of people um, I at least spoke to once. Um, and, and, yeah, I would say that the guests overall kind of broke down into maybe um, – three groups there were people who I would classify as committed swingers people in committed relationships who like to swap partners or uh, have group sex and that's a regular part of their sex life and they go to parties like this when the opportunity arises and uh, those people tended to be maybe a little bit older than Mm -hmm you know, sort of middle, in, in their middle age. Uh, and then there was a group of people who tended to be a little bit younger, like late 20s, mid to late 20s, early 30s, uh, and who were not so committed swingers but were maybe curious about it or interested in it. They mostly, many of them had not been to a party before, but they had been to other similar things or had had done things in their personal lives, like had threesomes or mm-hmm. um, or other things like that. And they were like, well, this is sort of the next step. Like maybe, maybe this could be a thing for me and yeah. my partner. And so we're sort of here to try it out. Uh, and then I would say there was a third group. Killing Kittens is like most sex party companies in that men cannot attend without a date. There was a third group of of mostly older single men who came with female dates who they were not in a relationship with, uh, but who, you know, there were people who were close friends uh, and a female friend agreed to come as, as, as a date just purely so that their male friend could experience the sex party and gain entry. Um, Man, that's and, a true wing woman. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, that's, that, is, that is dedication. Um, there were definitely... Also, some people who, um, how to put this, some couples were given the age difference and the apparent sort of financial sugar daddies disparity between them. Yeah, I, <laughs> I'll say it for you, girl. They would sugar daddies and young hotties. All right, exactly. those girls exactly. sound fun. 
they were super fun. It was it was an activity that their sugar daddies had planned, and and they were down for it. You know, um, yeah. That Wait, how did a they professional engagement? Wait, were they, I mean, was it literally a professional engagement for some of these women? I mean, like, were they actually like getting paid to be there, or you just mean sort of metaphorically? I didn't dis- uh, nobody nobody who I talked to discussed anything yeah. about um, payment or money. Yeah. Um, so I can't say that for sure, but it seemed like there was a an atmosphere. All I can say is that it was it was my impression, and from previous uh, reporting I've done, I know. I mean, I know. I know that we know what that looks like. So, Yes, I I know that sex workers, including sugar babies, and not all sugar babies classify themselves as sex workers, I know that sex workers, including sugar babies, do attend parties like that. (laughs) Yeah, Um, There were also some women there who didn't have dates, and I couldn't quite figure out what they were doing there, and I wasn't able to talk to anyone because uh, they they seemed to scatter whenever I tried to approach them. Um, But they all spoke Russian, and I don't know actually where they were from. Uh, Although I did hear, while I was trying to uh, find a a break in the conversation to begin a conversation with one of them, I did overhear her telling a man who asked her where she was from, I am from Hamptons. (laughs) And he just kind of gave her a funny look, uh, and she went on flirting with him. Um, Wait, so now, in order to get in, people had to pay a pretty expensive ticket fee. Is it $400, did you say? Yeah. uh, Per person. It's really expensive, is one thing I learned covering Uh sex party. Uh, and Killing Kittens is actually one of the cheaper ones. There are other sex parties in New York City that cost, mm-hmm. uh, you know, over $1,000 or up to several thousand dollars to attend. Um, those parties tend to be much less media friendly than Killing Kittens is. <laughs> Killing Kittens invites a lot of press to yeah. its events, um, which it strikes me as sometimes not necessarily... As much as it suits the interests of Killing Kittens as a company, it may not necessarily suit the interests of their members who might like to have sex without being observed by members of the media. I mean, is your impression that the $400 that, I mean, it must be pretty expensive to rent a mansion that big. I'm guessing, you know, the drinks and snacks were covered by that fee or? Nope, drinks were extra. I see. So is your impression that the cost is to be prohibitive, like it's supposed to make it harder to get into and thus there's a more elite set of people, everybody sort of has something to lose by being there to some degree, or, you know, that to make it a sort of more elite or private group of people, or that that's just sort of the price of partying in a place private enough to fuck in the Hamptons. I think that's one explanation, possibly, um, that, yes, I mean, certainly I'm not a party organizer, but I can imagine <laughs> yeah. in throwing an event like that, you'd have you'd have unusual costs that even similarly sized events wouldn't have. Um, and because you're operating in the, not the sex industry, but in a, in a sort of a sexualized space, uh, that, you know, not just anybody would be happy to rent to you. Not just anybody would be happy to do your security. Not just anybody would be happy to be a vendor. Um, you, that might drive up your costs. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I don't know why. Why was that sex party so expensive? It was four hundred dollars a ticket for a couple, mm-hmm. um, and then you pay extra for drinks on top of that at ten dollars each. 
Um, and there was really no food to speak of, despite the fact that it went over dinner and the tickets said that they would include food. Um, and a lot of people were very unhappy about that. Everybody was starving at this party. Um, you know, perhaps operating in a marketplace that is still stigmatized and subject to a lot of shame and, and a certain measure of stigma, even though that's something that companies like Killing Kittens obviously, you know, say they want to counteract, they're nonetheless benefiting from that social stigma because it means that they can totally soak their customers. Yeah, they can know? charge whatever they want. On the other hand, sex is the kind of thing... I remember um, talking to a friend who dabbled in sex work, and she was like, you know, the difference between the day when I charge, like, a hundred bucks and the day I get a thousand, or, you know, like, these... She's like, I do the exact same thing every time. I'm not actually ten times better at sex when I'm charging that much more. People are paying for sex, and they're paying to pay for sex. Like, that's a portion of the entire experience. You know, like, it strikes me that so many things that are really status-oriented are sort of, like, expensive for the sake of expensive. That sort of, like, money qua money somehow, that, like, we're throwing money, and throwing money away is part of this decadent experience. Definitely. My house is nicer than this. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. So tell me. Yeah, and maybe that's part of it. Maybe also, you know, if a sex party company came along and was like, we're going to charge $100 for tickets and you've been used to paying 400, 400 or 1000 you you might be suspicious of that. Are they really going to guide your guard your privacy? Are they really going to uh, have the best, quote unquote, quality people there? Would you really want to be a member of any club that would have you? You know, <laughs> precisely. Might not be. There might be a certain amount of suspicion uh, on the part of customers if, if if the ticket price seemed too cheap, especially when it has to do with sex. This thing that um, you know we treat uh, so differently as a culture, as a, as though it was separate to all sort of. All, all sort of other areas of human endeavor and culture. Well, it's like we wanted to yeah, simultaneously be utterly um, valueless is the wrong, but like priceless, you know, that sex and romance are supposed to be priceless. And yet there's no way to remove, I mean, particularly in this environment, it sounds like money and price are just connected to absolutely everything. It, I mean, you know, I always find that that's just sort of the case in like the Hamptons in general. Maybe I'm being radically stereotyping here. Mm -hmm. um, but there's certain environments that will tout themselves as the blank elite. And anytime the word elite is in play, it always seems to have to actually do with money, not any level of like elite skill set or elite something else. Yeah, that's very true. Like here is the world sexual elite tells me that these are sexy people who are rich, not these are the best people at sex on the planet. Yeah, and that they self-identify as elite, which <laughs> may or may not be attractive to you personally. <laughs> Did they feel like the world sexual elite to you? Um. No, because I probably I think I have a different definition of elite of elite uh -huh. than mm, just capital. Mm -hmm. um, Killing kittens bills itself as as a thrower of parties for celebrities and models and and you know the truly they sort of market this idea that you might like. I don't know, run into a Victoria's Secret model there or <laughs> or somebody on you know, whose name is on buildings in Manhattan. And uh -huh. I didn't see, you know, I didn't see any any famous people there. That's It's not a violation of anybody's privacy to say that I didn't that they weren't recognize famous. any celebrities or models. Yeah. Uh, these seemed like mostly quite attractive, but wealthy mm -hmm. New Yorkers. 
similar to um, wealthy, rich New Yorkers that you might encounter at a party thrown by another industry like like fashion or film or something like that. So speaking of that, that sort of it's so interesting how you you mentioned that there's that sort of older group that seems like they're really sort of into the swinger lifestyle. And it strikes me that, you know, you sort of can't really know what you're into until you get to a certain age almost. But you sort of make the sort of inverse observation about the way seeking of novelty and how seeking novelty in sex changes with age. Do you want to read us that quote? Sure. The older we get, the fewer truly new sexual experiences are available to us or even possible for us. The sense of discovery that is initially part of what makes sex so exciting fades. With age comes experience, and as experiences accrete, your odds of finding some previously unknown territory of your own sexuality necessarily diminish. The reward is a map of desire much richer and more finely wrought, full of sometimes hard-won knowledge, and a much more deeply anchored sense of one's own identity. But, inevitably, there are fewer and fewer blank spots on that map to explore. Maybe what we are seeking at a party like Killing Kittens is the renewed possibility of having a sexual experience that is truly new. That's so interesting to me. I mean, did you find, in terms of your own sort of curiosity or being there, did this sort of surprise you as a sexual experience or even just sexual sort of observation or sexual space? Yeah, it did, actually. Um you know, I went to this party as as a writer. I uh, I wasn't intending to have sex with anyone, and I mm-hmm. I actually I didn't. I was surprised that I enjoyed myself as much as I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I guess I was expecting. I I didn't have a clear idea in my mind of you know what the party would look like or any any firm preconceived notion um, of what would happen there, other than I expected at some point there would be sex. Uh, among relative strangers, but mm-hmm. I did kind of expect that I would go as a writer and there would be a sort of, um, that I would be able to maintain that position of an observer. Um, and that kind of wasn't possible. Like there, there, there came a point where just my, by being present, I was sort of implicated in the proceedings that were mm-hmm. going on around me. Um, where there was there was no observer, there was yeah. no um, there was no like clear cut detached role. And I was surprised actually by how okay I was with that. Frankly, uh-huh. I felt like I was having an experience that was completely new to me, and it struck me just how rare that is in my life these days. Mm-hmm. Um, when was the last time that I did something that involved or approached sex? <laughs> let's say, uh, that I had never done before. I think even if you go to sex parties all the time, just the level of the number of just people and stuff happening is so, I mean, just adds so much novelty. I mean, in some ways, it's like an extremely, extremely condensed version of, say, hooking up with a different person every night for several months on end, but they're all in one room and you aren't physically touching all of them, but you are getting the same level of sort of curiosity satiation or just sort of novel ideas and concepts and bodies to look at all of a sudden. I will say, um, I've not been to that many sex parties in my life, but the one thing that I greatly enjoy is going to the sex party, the only way I've ever done it, with like one person and just being with that person and then just forcefully saying no to every single person who else who wants to have sex with you and just being like, I ultra, ultra, ultra choose this one person is actually mm-hmm. kind of awesome. Yeah, that and, and actually that dynamic that you just described sounds 
I mean, yeah, of course that would be sexy. That that does sound kind of awesome, you know. Um, it's almost like a dramatic reenactment of the series of much sort of more private decisions that you make yeah. in a relationship, you know, to not be with other people. Like ultra-monogamy is a monogamy that occurs in a non-monogamous setting somehow? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. To just go to the, you know, my patented overshare on the podcast every week. <laughs> there we go. How many sex parties <laughs> is not that many, Maureen? Um, few enough to fit on one hand, not counting like weird college shit that, just, you know, <laughs> not counting <laughs> stuff that would essentially, you know, there's like the type of like, quote unquote, sex party that happens just because like nobody actually has like their own bedrooms yet. Um, that doesn't count. Mm-hmm. But in terms of adults who are capable of doing something different, small enough to fit on one hand. And I will say, I do think there is some wisdom to that idea of like, once you've kind of done a lot of permutations with one person that there's sort of a moment of like, well, what else can we do to get novelty? You know, like the pursuit of novelty and the value of novelty and sex is, I think, often portrayed as kind of a kind of a tragic thing. Like, like you're, you, you've used up all of your yeah. novels, so you have to seek it in more and more desperate, desperate ways. Um, which I, I, I disagree with. That I too. I a, reject that desperate exactly. gloss. I mean, I say that sort of self-deprecatingly, but I don't think so. I think novelty is a renewable resource, isn't it? There's always more novelty. Yeah. I think it is. Actually, that's that's one thing that I realized at this party, like we were talking about before. Um, it is a renewable resource. It is available to us. It's just that we don't often, most of us organize our sexual lives in such a way that we don't often get to approach novelty. And And I think also... Probably in the grand scheme of things, novelty becomes how has become less important to me mm-hmm. uh, as an individual as I've gotten older. Yeah. There are other values that I or that I would rate, rate more highly. Yeah, but it's uh, it's not an experience I'll soon forget. I mean, not one I'm in a hurry to repeat either. Uh-huh. But um, it went from being like one of the least sexy parties that I've ever been to. You know, this party where everybody's like standing around sort of awkwardly making small talk and um tensely waiting to see who's gonna fuck whom yeah and and meanwhile uh complaining about how hungry they are (laughs) promised food but there's no food um uh to being like actually a surprisingly sexy party Uh uh-huh I mean, you had this hysterical quote also, which is so accurate of not just sex parties, but kind of everything in life of no sex happened at the sex party for a very long time. And then very suddenly, a lot of sex happened. I can tell you what it was like from my perspective. I Mm -hmm. was, um, I had been kind of all around the party uh, in the hot tub, out by the pool, talking to people inside, talking to people outside. And all day long, as the party wore on, the people I was talking to grew sort of more and more concerned that nobody was like, nobody was having sex. Nobody was making out. Nobody was doing anything. Uh, Like even these sort of almost cheesy, overtly sexy situations, like sitting in a hot tub with a bunch of strangers. (laughs) Like even then nobody was, nobody was like, instead of sex, you were talking about why no sex was occurring. Exactly. Which is precisely Uh, like all of my like teenage memories from before I lost my virginity. (laughs) In place of having lots of sex, you just talk about why sex isn't happening yet. It actually felt very (laughs) much like that. I remember those conversations too. And the mood of like hopefulness Uh that you would approach uh, any situation where where it seemed like you might come into contact (laughs) with uh, that member of the opposite sex that you liked. And then when nothing would happen, you'd be like, God damn it. 
Yeah, it felt like that. Um, and then uh, around the time that, around sunset, uh, I was downstairs in one of the ostensible, like one of the labeled playrooms of the party, uh-huh. but which people up until that point had only been using to play ping pong. Uh, <laughs> and I was talking to, there was there were actually a couple people playing ping pong at that moment, and I was talking to a guy who was there um, at the party as the plus one of another journalist who was covering it, and we were having this completely boring professional conversation about <laughs> writers we knew in common, and, oh, have you worked with that editor? And, oh, you know, so-and-so at X. And uh, then as I was talking to this guy, I kept on looking, like, to my left there was the ping-pong people and then to my right I just out of the corner of my eye I started seeing like bodies moving on the other side of the room and I noticed this this couple that I talked to earlier in the day this sort of couple of older swingers um who were beginning to have oral sex and then there was another couple also on the same um air mattress actually Uh, Air mattress. Apparently a $400 ticket did not cover a real mattress. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, although there were also couches available. Um, But yeah, and then sort of slowly on that side of the room, more and more people started to start making out or touching each other or removing their clothes. And and I couldn't really, like I, I didn't, I was still talking to this one person, so, (laughs) you know, I was listening. How could you stay focused on that conversation? When you say corner of your eye, all I can think is, like, how did you not turn your head? That would have been my full eyes. But maybe I'm just a perv. I don't know. I mean, we were both clearly (laughs) noticing it. But at the same time, to our left, like, people were still very much playing ping pong. And, you know, to to next to us, there was another woman, like, another writer just talking about, like, TV shows she likes. This was like your Scylla and Charybdis that you're like, there's, like, a boring media conversation on this side and there's real sex on that side. I'm just going to stare straight forward. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I kind of had to... I that was my instinct, but then yeah. I had to wait. Would it be invasive of me to yeah. just turn my head and start staring? And I thought it probably would. Um, I mean, obviously, there's a performative ex- aspect yeah. to um, to having sex or to even attending a sex party. Mm-hmm. There is a there is a an acknowledgement that you might be watched and that you might enjoy being watched, and that might be why you went. But um, but yeah, it didn't feel appropriate for me to like ogle i mean i hadn't been invited you know to mm-hmm. participate in anybody's um scene that was unfolding but yes but it was clear that sexual activity was taking place and that's how it all started <laughs> it's and, a sort of forceful yeah. casualness of carrying on your cocktail party conversation as like something extremely riveting happens right next to you but then you're like well, i'm not supposed to be too interested i can be a little bit interested <laughs> that's sort of that that balancing calculation is such a funny thing so much more charged when it's sex. You know, I will say you have actually convinced me actually to change my point of view on one thing, which is I used to always be a little bit skeptical of the person who went to a sex party, wrote about it, but didn't participate. And I used to always be like, isn't that like going to a restaurant and not eating the food and then trying to write your review? (laughs) Like, shouldn't you? However, what you just made me realize today, which is kind of a revelation, um, is that actually, I mean, even if you don't literally touch anyone at the sex party, you're still part of it. You are part of somebody's imaginative landscape while they're having sex because you're in the room while they're doing it i guess i guess what i took away from this party was was just a reminder that the 
the sort of territory of, of sex and sexuality is very, very big. And there are a lot of things that encompass that, that sexual behavior encompasses that we don't necessarily think of as quote unquote sex. Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of different configurations of people and genders and Mm -hmm. bodies and that because most of us, I think, experience sex with one other person. Right. <laughs> Occasionally, maybe one, maybe two. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, you don't, you are not, we're not always in a position to contemplate those, that much broader array of possibilities. And, and this party, I was, I was surprised by how many new experiences seem to be available to the guests. And, and then I was also like, wait, am I being a little naive? Like, isn't that obvious? But... <laughs> But it did seem like it was worth noticing. It's sort of impossible to be a neutral observer in an environment. Yeah. You know, uh, to say that you're just there to observe is sort of a fiction. On that note, on the note of imaginative sex, different kinds of sex, um, a few weeks ago, we did an episode about um, porn for the blind and audio porn, which is a combination of oh, all the different... Oh, my God. It's amazing. I It's my favorite episode we've done. And there is on Reddit a an audio porn, a sort of amateur audio porn um, Reddit called Gone Wild Audio. Of course there is. And it's people sort of, you know, recording the sounds of them masturbating or their fantasies and that sort of thing. And people listen and it's very intimate. But anyways, after we um, recorded that episode, a fan listener who goes by the name F. Stop Fitzgerald... F-stop being like a camera. So F-stop Fitzgerald Mm -hmm. called in to tell us his opinions about the sort of erotic imagination of audio porn and what he thinks we were missing out on. So let's take a listen and we'll discuss it after. Hi, guys. I just wanted to uh, respond to the um, recent discussions you've all been having about um, Gone Wild Audio and audio porn and that kind of a thing. Um, Just because one of the aspects that you didn't really touch on that much and I think is actually super crucial is the idea that it's not just the consumption of the audios that is uh, turn on and great and awesome. It is also the creation of them. Like for someone like me, I'm a, I guess a semi-regular visitor, um, but I rarely listen to other people's audios. Um, I mostly just create them to be consumed by other people because the idea of someone getting off on my voice is great and I love it. And the feedback is awesome, and I love that. So um, that's a huge part of it as well. Instead of just listening to what other people are doing, it's um, doing it to actually give the pleasure yourself. Anyway, thought I'd uh, throw that out there. Love the show. Thanks, guys. Do you get the vibe that um, that was kind of his sexy voice too? That he just left that that voicemail with? Yes, that yes. is a that is a golden radio voice right there, <laughs> and or sexy voice. You know, so here's my question. Do we categorize what he's describing as exhibitionism? Um, his idea that he really likes people to hear his voice and get off mm-hmm. to his voice? I mean, I guess it could. you could see it as a form of exhibitionism. Um, or just, I don't know, uh, generosity and the concurrent desire to be recognized for one's generosity, you know? Interesting. Um, that is a little different than exhibitionism. You're right. It's also about sort of inspiring the imagination, I suppose, since he's basically creating um, verbal erotica. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Which I think has got to be 
It's got to be kind of difficult. I mean, creating any kind of narrative, especially a fictional one where you have to think about character and and scene and plot and uh, voice and tone, you know, um, it's difficult. It's difficult to come up with a story that, like, has a kind of internal coherence. Yeah. Um, and to do that while also thinking about moving the story in a, in a sexual direction and not putting a foot wrong as you do that, I think, I think that's got to be really tough. It's probably a lot easier to just, you know, do something without a narrative. Do you write fiction ever, Jenna, or are you all nonfiction? I'm all nonfiction. Me too. My imagination just doesn't work in fictional ways, and thus I greatly admire those. Like, even on the yeah. ba- like, if I tried to write a, a novel, it probably would read like the plot of a porno, but like, probably minus the sex, because I don't even know if I could write a good sex scene, right? It would actually just be like, Pizza Guy walks in, because like, I have no ability to, my imagination just doesn't work that way. Yeah, mine neither. I love research. I love reporting. Yeah. I love interviews. Um, yeah, maybe, I guess, yeah, maybe, maybe I'm eager to admire uh, erotica with a kind of a narrative thrust to it because that's not what I do. I don't write fiction and so I'm more easily impressed by it. But that's cool. Like, Good for that guy, you know? Yeah. Thanks, F-Stop. So our guest has been Jenna Sowers. Jenna, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Maureen. This was really fun. And that's it for Sex Lives this week. And as a reminder, you can always reach our voicemail box at 646-494-3590. Let us know your thoughts on whether it's fun to watch sex. Can you observe sex without being implicated in it? And anything about the sex parties you've been to and sex you've had at the Hamptons? Sex Lives is produced by Sam Dingman. Thanks also to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. See you next week and thanks for listening.